the Babble Room, the podcast where we babble on about things that fascinate us and hopefully fascinate you too. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Babble Room. My name is Megan, and I'm joined with Amini. Hey. How you doing today? I'm doing amazing, as you can see. You have the giggles. I know. I don't know why. This will be interesting, because today is our very special spooky Halloween episode. So I don't know how that's going to go with you and the giggles, but we'll see. So we wanted to do a special Halloween episode because Halloween is Emily's favorite holiday in the entire world. Yes, it is. So we wanted to do a little something to make it special. And for that today, we are going to be talking about monsters. Ooh, right before we're going to bed. Thank you so much, Meg. Of course, that's what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. So we will be talking specifically about vampires and revenants. And the reason we are talking about this is because I actually wrote my master's dissertation on vampires because I figured, you know what? Why do it on something super academic when I can do it on something fun? And yes, I am a child of the Twilight generation. Do not come for me. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was like, were you inspired by Twilight in your youth or something? Because, you know. I was at the prime age of Twilight. Like at high, like when we were in high school, we used to have Twilight viewing parties. Mm-hmm. Like the book would come out and then <laughs> oh my God. read the book. And then eventually when the first movie came out, we would go see the movie. And it was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. All right. So if that was so important to you were you more team edward or team jacob uh it's team edward okay yeah i'm guessing you were team jacob no i was not on them i hated them <laughs> i hated twilight so <laughs> team much. neither team neither no no interest so ever okay. well so. you are older than me so <laughs> yeah i was more of a you know Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I loved Buffy. (laughs) Loved Buffy. I was like Team Spike. Okay. Well, to be fair, if I had a choice of Spike, Edward, or Jacob, it's Spike all the way. Maybe Angel. Angel. Depends. Yo, I was like completely sure you were gonna say like, oh, Team Angel for sure. Because like No, there's something about a bad boy in a leather trench coat. (laughs) And bleach hair. And bleach, (laughs) bleach spiky hair. Listen, once upon a feeling. I still know all the songs to that episode. Like, play a song and I will know the lyrics. I freaking love Buffy. Wow. Anyway. I'm amazed right now. How are you surprised I like Buffy? I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't picture you liking that kind of show because it was like more violent and like, you know, not, not like the romantic vampire thing. I don't like romantic comedies. More rough, more. I don't like romantic comedies. I think it's debatable no but like I don't like rom-coms like I I, like I've seen you watch rom-coms before so like that's well no I can still watch them I just don't like that would not be my first go-to for a movie okay so what would be your first go-to for a movie uh if you fucking say Twilight (laughs) (laughs) no but now I feel like I should rewatch them no it's probably something like an action or a thriller is probably what I would go for Mm-hmm. although I would never watch a horror movie ever in my life because I would die of fright so that would make sense anyway all that to say we're veering off topic mm-hmm. coming back to our spooky Halloween episode we are going to be talking about vampires but we're going to be talking about 
real vampires mm. and vampires that existed throughout our history and how people reacted to them. So if I were to ask you what a stereotypical vampire looks like, what would you tell me? Dracula. Right. And what does Dracula look like? Like a vampire. So helpful <laughs> that you... Point, wow. like, you know, point, <laughs> pointy teeth and like um, scary, scary looks, black slicked hair and I don't know. Okay. Pale skin. Okay. And what can you tell me about vampires? Like in literature, in movies, what are vampires and what do they do? Okay. So they don't have a reflection in the mirror. Um, Also, uh, they hate garlic for some reason. And uh, they're afraid of light. They like light, like, you mean like the sun? Sun. They don't. They can't be. They can't mm-hmm. be exposed to sun. And how do you kill a vampire? With um. <laughs> the Honestly, I'm guys, we're recording this over Zoom, and if you could see, I'm sure you can imagine the hand movements she's oh making. God, a steak. A steak. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I had to blank for a second, for a minute, for an yeah, hour. So a steak through the heart. So those are all literary depictions and, you know, depictions in film, cinema, TV shows. Those are all untrue. That's just, that's the idea that we've had since the 19th century. But before that, vampires did, quote unquote, exist, allegedly. Mm -hmm. And that is not at all what they were like. That was really popularized by Bram Stoker in Dracula and Polidori and basically that's not what vampires were like for people that actually believed in them I have a question yes how do we know that they really existed I'm gonna tell you why do you think I'm here okay so you okay so you actually have the you you actually have the whole research right (laughs) I wrote my master's dissertation on this and presented it to my professors and proceeded to get my (laughs) master's degree with this dissertation yes I have sources (laughs) (laughs) okay so we are going to be concentrated on the time period in the late medieval period so that's basically from the late 12th century to the very early 15th century So that's the 1100s to the 1400s. The two main sources that um, I will be basing this on are William of Newburgh's Historia Rerum Anglicarum, published in 1198, and Walter Mapp's De Nugis Curialum, published around 1182. And no, I do not speak Latin. Latin is a dead language. Don't come at me for my pronunciation. What does it mean? So the, these are primary sources. These were books that were written in the 12th century describing instances of what we would now call vampires. So actually, the first use of the word bloodsucking or referring to a creature that would suck the blood appears in Newberg's Historia in 1198. So that is the one and only mention of a creature that would have vampire-like characteristics. okay all right so although today we would refer to uh this blood second creature as a vampire in the middle ages that word hadn't yet been invented and just 
the root of the word is very convoluted. A lot of different cultures claim that they're the ones that invented the word and there's no real answer of where we got it, but we have it. So for the ease of this podcast, I will be referring to these blood-sucking creatures as revenants because that is what they were known as during the medieval period. And revenants being um, as like un- like undead? Yeah, so a revenant is basically used to encompass any dead human being who is believed to return to life in a corporeal form and be malevolent. Oh, okay. A bad zombie Okay, is another way. <laughs> is there, is there any good zombies out there? Have you seen an eye zombie? Yeah, I did. Well, there you go. That's an example. All right. So where does the myth of the medieval revenant come from? So it is rooted in a different concept of life after death. So obviously, if somebody is coming back to haunt you and attack you after they've died, something has gone wrong. And that means that there is something after death, right? Right. (laughs) You don't sound convinced, but okay. No, but I mean, yeah, yeah, sure. Fair enough, I guess. Basically, ghost stories or stories of the dead returning to the world of the living in any way, shape, or form frequently have an exemplary purpose, and they were intended to evoke a wondering response from the listeners. So basically, these are cautionary tales. Like, don't do this Mm -hmm. because this will happen. And these Mm -hmm. stories really began to appear and be recorded following the first millennium. And during the Middle Ages, spirits and unexplainable creatures were just a fact of life. They were as real to them as their next door neighbor. Like for them, it was explicit. God exists. There are angels. There are demons. There are ghosts. There are revenants. And my neighbor's name is Joe. (laughs) Simple as that. (laughs) Okay. All right. I like how you cut my attention for the last part of it. I just, I I was, I was a bit lost in my thought, but then like you got me a Joe. I like, I woke up. Simply. That's okay. This is also a podcast for anybody, for all of my friends and family that said that they read my dissertation but didn't actually read it. This is a condensed Sparks Note version. So you're welcome. How dare they? <laughs> That's the one who didn't read it. How dare they? So obviously, the stories that I'm telling you today are from a very Eurocentric Christian perspective uh, in Britain. So back then, uh, in the 1100s, There was no real concept of purgatory. It was more you're alive and then you're dead. But there was no in between of, you know, you wait out your sentence until you were half life, half dead. (laughs) No, but like the the concept of purgatory where like you're waiting to see if you're going to go to heaven or to hell. That didn't exist. So once you died, if you were a good person, you went to heaven. If you were a bad person, you went to hell. If you were a so-so person. St. Augustine said that you went to hell, but it wasn't as bad as, like, a murderer. Like, he would have the bad hell. Also, it was like, okay, so it was like vanilla hell, right? Exactly. So there's the, mm, it's okay hell. It's not, it's like minor annoyance hell. And then there's the, like, flaying and burning and, you know. Just like, just like basically people doing ASMR and you're here for, like, for, like, a century or something. Basically basically. So like I said before, uh, people at this time really did believe that they were surrounded by supernatural creatures. Uh, Do you want to gander and see if you can guess which creatures they believed in? Mm. Um, Like, you mean creatures as in, like, 
anim- like animals or? They believed in the supernatural. When I okay, say a supernatural so, being. All right. So I would like, I would say werewolves for sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, witches. Mm-hmm. That it, it counts as a creature, right? As a myth, yeah. like mythical creature. Folkloric. 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 I can't say that word. Folkloric. 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 Okay. Um, What else? What else? I will say not dragons. Actually, they did believe in dragons. Are you serious? Yep. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. I wasn't expecting dragons to to be out there. (laughs) Yeah, believed in dragons. Okay. Well, I mean, think about it this way. Like mm-hmm. today, when we discover a dinosaur bone, we know it's a dinosaur. But could you imagine being back then and finding like a giant hip bone? Like, what are you going to associate that to? It's dragon. It's clearly dragons. Any other guesses? Um, I'm, like I'm trying to think of creatures. I mermaids. Uh, I'm sure they did. It's not on my list, but I'm sure they did. Um, what else? So I have angels, demons ghosts but then we also have fairies oh yeah elves giants and dragons gnomes how did you say that gnomes 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 Gnomes. yeah so people believe that these creatures live with them but that they were supernatural beings that belonged in the celestial world and were invisible to them but could appear to them for an exceptional reason. So if God had sent an angel to speak with them, like a great example of this is in the Bible, when the angel appears to Mary to let her know that she will be birthing a baby Jesus. So let's go back to Revenants for a second. I say Uh for a second, for the remainder of this episode. (laughs) For a second, actually for an hour. How could someone become a Revenant? Do you have any ideas about how someone can become an undead, if you'd like? Okay, so my thought on it is <laughs> Joe's gonna Joe, okay? You remember Joe? Remember Joe? Mm-hmm. Let's say Joe is dying. So Joe is dying, and now he's crossing mm-hmm. on the other side. And Joe's been a really fucking bad neighbor, okay? Did he eat all your turnips? Yeah. So Satan is like, Joe, you've been a really bad dude. And Joe's like, yeah, I know, but like, please don't do this. Like, you know what? We're going to do a contract together. I'm going to bring you back, but you're going to be up there because you suck. I mean, I wish this was on my list, honestly. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this is, this is how I think it happens. All right. So there's five ways somebody can become a revenant. You're not too far off with your story. So the first one is through demonic possession. Right. That would make sense. The issue with demonic possession is that demons could also... It's very inconvenient. It's very inconvenient. I mean, it is inconvenient. Like, I was supposed to... Have you seen The Exorcist? Very inconvenient. I mean, I had errands to run. I had to go to the grocery (laughs) store. I had shit to do today. Also, you might just, like, your neck might flip, like, 360, and you might pee on the floor. So very inconvenient to to be possessed. That's also part of it, yes. Right. Okay. So the first one was demonic possession. Um, But yeah, so demons could possess the dead. We're going to throw a little wrench in this because angels can also possess humans. So how do you know if that that person is being possessed by an angel or a demon? (laughs) 
if the person acts like a fucking like a fucking dick to you well probably it's a it's a demon like if the person's really nice you probably is an angel i don't know you're not far off so saint augustine believed that one to be cautious of sudden gifts as though miraculous abilities can be gifts that god bestows upon the faithful for the confirmation of the faith the revelation of the future or a gift of prophecy, the understanding of supernatural beings, or a gift of wisdom, and the understanding of human things, or the gift of knowledge. Nevertheless, similar things can also be, and are, accomplished by evil spirits. So basically, if you suddenly... It's a shit show. Basically, it's a shit show. It's a shit show. So you're screwed either way. Okay. But basically, if you suddenly exhibited, like, a knowledge of things that you hadn't known before, so like... If you suddenly knew, um, suddenly knew astrology, or if you could suddenly read or stuff like that, or exhibited strange behavior, that could be seen as a result of possession, whether it be angelic or demonic. Okay, so what <laughs> what you're saying basically is, if anybody had like um, any new knowledge, sudden new knowledge. So people were so like if you went to university and learned how to read that was fine but like if you went out to plow the field and then the next day you were reading the bible it'd be like oh the fuck okay okay but there were also some physical traits yeah i was gonna ask that people that were possessed would exhibit so some of these horns what horns horns i mean no good try though good try red eyes no you're gonna enjoy this though Physical frenzies, shouting, nudity, subordination of the personality to invading demon, and superhuman strength. So honestly, just a really good Saturday night out. Right? I know, I was just going to say, like, fuck, I must be possessed or something. (laughs) Oh, no. To add the cherry on top of the cake, it was believed that although men could be possessed, obviously... Women were the most likely victim of the possession because women were the lesser sex and therefore more readily available to be corrupted by the devil. No shit. Mm-hmm. Demonic possession was thought to be fundamentally feminine, whereas saintliness was regarded as masculine. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. So basically, in summary, uh, demonic possession... Is, is difficult to differentiate from angelic possession, but it was believed that certain people were predisposed to becoming revenants because they may have been, quote, different, unpopular, or great sinners. So most often, this meant somebody that was different than the norm. So somebody that may have had a different faith, people that didn't fall into the norm of, like, nice, gentle, church-going folk. Okay. Could be possessed by demons. And it's usually, this would be like the outcast of the village or like the old crone mm-hmm. or somebody who was not popular before their death. Yeah, I guess we can often see that in like horror movies as well. Yeah, and that's something that really falls through, especially like a um, few hundred years later with the witch trials, like obviously most famously the Salem witch trials, but that's something that follows through of treating the other as something Mm -hmm. to be afraid of, Mm -hmm. even today. Yeah. So that was the first way of somebody becoming a revenant, demonic possession. Okay. 
So the second type of way people can become revenants is the people that were thought to be predestined to this faith. So that means that it's something that would be usually recognized as birth. Do you have any idea of what these signs could be? Um, if you were born a girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's witches. Yeah, no, I would say like a birthmark. Yeah, that's a... Uh... That's one. It's not on my list, but it is one. Okay. Red hair. You would think, but no. So it's something that has to do with the baby and the birth. Um, I don't know. I don't know. So when the baby was born mm -hmm. inside the amniotic membrane, so you know how some babies are born still in the amniotic sac? I no, I didn't know that. Okay, so some babies are born still in the amniotic sac. So that was a sign of very, it was a very bad omen for your life okay. and for what was to come. Yeah, I see. And then if a baby was born with any type of abnormality or defect, mm -hmm. physical defect, they were also thought to be predestined to have a horrible fate. So okay. great things to look forward to. Hmm. Definitely doesn't cause issues throughout your life. The third way somebody can become a revenant is through contagion. And that's something we see today, even in the more modern vampire myth. So if you get bitten by a vampire, you become a vampire, right? Oh, I thought that's like, <laughs> we're going to say if you get bitten by a bat, you have COVID-19. <laughs> oh my God, it's too soon. <laughs> I know. Too soon. I know. I know. Keeping that in though. No worries. Okay, so contagion. Contagion, yeah. So I just thought that a bite from a revenant would lead to a victim becoming a revenant themselves. Okay, so how much blood is too much blood so you don't become a vampire and you just die because one vampire fed on you? Um, academically speaking, I don't have the answer because that's not a thing. <laughs> Twilight speaking, I, I mean, don't asking remember. For a, I'm just asking for a friend. <laughs> I'm just asking for a friend. <laughs> just getting some information. But yeah, so in the modern, like the modern day vampire will bite the neck mostly, whereas medieval revenants would bite the chest because that's the closest to the heart that they can go. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. But in the same vein as contagion, if a person was unfortunate enough to be like the first victim of an epidemic, such as the plague, then that person was thought to become a revenant mm -hmm. and then come back and infect their friends and family and the whole village. Right. And they were thought to be the cause of the epidemic. Okay. And this is mostly because the concept of the spread of disease obviously was not what it is now in the 1100s. But they were trying to find a way to explain it. And this, to them, was the most logical way to explain it. That's one way of explaining things. So the fourth way somebody could become a revenant was by examining the state of their body after death. Now, I don't know if I know this because I've deep dive too deep into this research or if it's a common fact. But a lot of bodies after death... You, They give off the illusion that the fingernails are growing, that the hair is growing, bloody gums. That's normal. How do you know that? <laughs> I guess I deep dive too hard into my research. You're scaring me right now. No, listen, I've watched a lot of CSI. You're fine. But I like it. I like being scared. So I guess that's fine. 
I kind of like it. Spooky season. It's our you're right. It's our Halloween episode. So if the village thought that they were under the influence of a revenant, what they would do is they would uh, exhume, quote unquote, the body of the person they thought was was the revenant. So they would go to the grave. They would dig out, see what the body looked like. Oh. If the body was, I don't want to say fleshy, but like if it wasn't dry, like if it was more than bones. Moist? Then, a moist body? Yeah, if it was still moist. Okay. Moist, fleshy body. Mm, Supple. Yummy. (laughs) But if the body looked like it was bloated, if it looked like it still had signs of life, so like fingernails are still growing, hair is still growing. So they attributed that to signs of the corpse being a revenant and coming back and terrorizing them. Modern medicine and modern science says that those are normal signs of decomp. Yes. So if they went and dug up the grave and saw that the corpse was quote-unquote dry. So if there was only bones left, then that meant that it could not be a revenant. It had to be fleshy. Okay, so let's say they go and see Joe's body. and like Because <laughs> we've killed Joe at this point. Right? So like they dig up the grave and like they look at Joe and Joe died like a week ago. So like his body's like kind of still fresh, you know? Uh-huh. So they would just like assume that he was a like a revenant. Yeah. So if there had been some weird incidences in the village, so like let's say that Joe, Joe was naughty. Joe was cheating on his wife with three other women in the village. Okay. Nasty Joe. Nasty Joe. Right before Joe died, <laughs> he had a little tryst with his friends, and then he died. Okay. From mm-hmm. let's say the plague. Well. Now they're going to die of the plague and everybody he's been in contact with. So he technically would be the first person that died from contagion, which is why they would exhume his body. Okay, but like, how would they not know that, like, if you look at a fresh body, it's going to look fresh. And if you look at like an old body, if you dig up like, I don't know, like a 30 years old corpse, it's going to look very dry. Compared to like Joe's body, right? That honestly could be a topic for a whole other podcast. It's because the concept of... But I'm just like, it's common sense. Well, not necessarily, because back then they didn't have the science to back it up. They didn't have the scientific theory. So they didn't know. They were doing this by trial and error. And if God was telling them that this was a sign of a revenant. But this is what they thought and what they firmly believed in. Like I was saying at the beginning, like these were... These were people that strongly believed that they walked among supernatural creatures. Now we get to the fifth reason why somebody could become a revenant, and that is a sociological cause. So this included having died a sudden or a bad death or having poor or non-existent funerary rights, as well as gender, because everything is related to to gender. gender. Right. So... Obviously, the concept of life after death and your soul moving on and going to heaven is extremely important to these people. Like They live a good life so that they can have an even better afterlife. Mm -hmm. So if somebody dies in a, quote, unchristianly manner, this could be victims of plague, murder victims, suicide. And these are all deaths that happen quickly and unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And it was also thought that a premature death led to the, quote, aggression against the places and people of one's life. 
So basically, if you were murdered, you were coming back and haunting the motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm all for that. (laughs) On the flip side, if funeral and mourning rites were not properly administered, for example, in the case of suicide, if you died by suicide, you could not have rights in a church and you cannot be buried in a Christian cemetery. If a mother died in childbirth or if the child died whilst being born without being baptized, this meant that they could not have any funeral rites. And it was thought to be dangerous for their soul and meaning that they could not go directly to heaven. So their soul was left wandering, therefore could become as a revenant and terrorize the village. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. What a great time to be alive. You live and you learn and you really discover that modern medicine is fucking great. Right. Um, one of the things that they did to help minimize the risk of somebody becoming a revenant is that the people that were executed, sort of criminals and suicide victims were buried at crossroads with a stake in their heart as a precaution against revenant. So that's where we get our stake to the heart trope from. Oh, Mm-hmm. So the stake was believed to transfix the corpse to the earth and prevent it from wandering. And this next one, I don't want to say it's going to be a fun one. It's a different one. It's interesting, but delicate topic. So to prevent somebody from becoming a revenant, they could be buried face down <laughs> in the grave because it was thought that if they woke up and tried to come back and haunt where they used to live, that they would just keep walking towards the center of the earth and never make it to the village. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, I see. There are also little tips and tricks that um, spread throughout medieval England of ways to, quote-unquote, entertain a corpse so that they would Entertain come... a corpse? Let me, let me finish. Can you please explain? <laughs> yes, I, I will explain. So that they would be too busy and couldn't come back and haunt the living. So one of the things that they would do is that they would sprinkle poppy seeds on the grave. And it was thought that the revenant had to collect each poppy seed one by one before exiting his grave. So obviously that would take forever. He'd never be able to get out. The second one was they would place a fishing net on the body and it would have to be unstitched at the rate of one knot per year. Very specific. And that is why it would take them so long and they would not be able to come out of the grave. Okay, because like any revenant knows that like they have to undo knots and like they have I to never collect- said this made Instead sense. Instead of just like get out of the freaking soil and mm-hmm. do your thing and go and hunt people. I never said this made sense. This is what they believed. Okay. And apparently it it worked. Oh, apparently it worked. <laughs> Funny <laughs> enough. Know. I mean, we have some very interesting stories and primary sources, and I will put those on the show notes on our website if you want to go read the primary source accounts of it. It's really interesting. I personally want to know if you have any any Im- images of people buried face down. <laughs> Can you please put um, it on the website? I don't, and I don't want to Google it. <laughs> can you please put that on the website, please? <laughs> I can try and draw a little something. <laughs> And maybe put that up, but I'm not Googling that. Mm-hmm. I don't want nightmares. But speaking of images, what did revenants actually look like? Well, the answer is pretty boring. They basically look like, like themselves, but really puffy and really red. And like, if you know how when a balloon gets so big 
that you're about to <laughs> pop it, but like you're scared to touch it because it's going to pop. Because it's... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Imagine that, but to a human body. Okay, so basically they look like balloons. Like balloon animals. Have you seen the It movie? <laughs> no, and I don't want to. <laughs> All right. So basically they look like themselves, but like really, really bloated and about to explode. And they had blood around the mouth, around the nose, and around the eyes. Okay, so that kind of makes sense with modern medicine, right? But not like not medicine, but like modern things that that we discovered that happens to body when they die. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which is bloating and like mm-hmm. like gases it, that get trapped in yeah, the body. Exactly. So that's how they would know who the revenant was because they could recognize the person because they still looked like themselves, just an engorged version of themselves. But now admitted to the fun part. This is the medieval manual on how to kill revenant. Oh, thank God. We made it to the fun part. Thank God. (laughs) I mean, I think all of this is the fun part because I wrote my, I wrote my dissertation on it, but it truly is actually nice research. I hope so. This was a full year of my life. I will. Honestly, I'm really interested in it. So I will read the whole thing. Thank you. I appreciate it. So how did they kill Revenants? Do you have an idea? Didn't you say that like they um, put a stake in their heart? So that's to prevent them from coming back. Oh, I see. Okay. Um... So in... So if you were to watch a vampire movie today, or if you think about Buffy, mm-hmm. how did they kill the vampires apart from the stake to the heart? They would put them into light, into like into the light of the sun. Mm-hmm. Is that how they, yeah, that's how they, they died. So that's one way. <laughs> that's what I think. I think the sun, the sun would kill them. So you think that back then to kill a revenant, they would go get the corpse, expose him to the sun, and then that would kill the revenant and he wouldn't come back? I mean, I think so. <laughs> I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the idea the idea is there. The execution, not so much, but the idea is there. Okay. So the ways that they would, quote-unquote, kill a revenant, because how do you kill somebody that's already dead, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, very violently. That's how you would do it. Ooh. So you have to keep in mind, though, that this is some, like, this was a person that had a family that had friends. So the fact that people had to, like, go back and kind of kill him again, Mm -hmm. kill them again, was very traumatic to the family. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't tell me that, like, oh. I don't know what you're thinking, but I'm sure it's not. I'm thinking something very, like, really freaking violent right now. So I'm like, please don't tell me that thing that I'm thinking. But keep going I'll see <laughs> so they one of the things that they would first try when they thought that the person was a revenant was the stake so you were right they start with the stake if that doesn't work okay. they cut the head off how like how do they know if, if, if it's not working so okay so let's say that they think this person is a revenant because there's been a few sightings there's been a few instances or like people keep dying of the plague mm-hmm. well then the first thing they'll do is they'll go put a stake in the heart and then if the night after or the day after or the coming days, there's still Puffy. people dying from the plague, there's still oh, things happening, okay. well, then they'll escalate. So then they'll cut the corpse's head off, separated from the body. Uh-huh. They will cut the heart out, separated from the body. Ugh. And then they will burn the corpse as well as the head 
my heart separately. Okay. Okay. So that was the first method. That was the violent method. The second method was they went to the church and they asked the priest to write a little letter asking the revenant not to come back. And then they would put it in the grave on the corpse and hope the corpse wouldn't come back. So two very, very different methods. I mean, the church has its own ways. (laughs) We won't get into that. Nope. So one of them is very violent but very effective. Mm -hmm. The second one, not very violent, preferred by family and friends of the deceased. (laughs) Jeez, I wonder why. (laughs) But seen as not as effective, which I mean, when's the last time you wrote a strongly worded letter and actually got what you wanted? I mean, actually I did. Personally, I did. But like, when was the last time that a priest tried to stop a pandemic? I don't think we should open that can of worms. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on. Lastly, we've touched on this here and there throughout the episode, Um, but you mentioned that vampires come out at night because the sun burns them. So when do you think vampires were the most, or sorry, when do you think revenants were the most likely to make an appearance? Midnight. Okay, I'll accept that answer. Give you a point. I mean, it's, I think it's a good hour. It's a good. It's a good time to come out. I, I mean, the answer I was looking for was right after they died. Oh, but I like that too. Oh, right, right, right after. <laughs> yeah, that would make sense. So, revenants were thought to appear shortly after their death, and that's because their memory was still alive in the minds of their friends and family, and that is something that helped bring them back. Some spiritual shit out there. So they were most likely to appear at a cemetery where their corpse was laid to rest Mm -hmm. or to visit a place that was familiar to them. And secondly, when do you think it was more common for revenants to appear? Like what time? Um, At night. So nighttime, that was a good guess. So fun fact, revenants were most likely to appear around Christmas time. That was not a fun fact. That was a really sad fact. No, I know. It's just because you love Halloween. I love Christmas. So this is both of our interests combining. Oh, yeah. You had to like put Christmas in there, right? <laughs> there you go. I had to. Okay. So the most common time for revenants to appear was Christmas because the days leading up to the epiphany in the winter are shorter, which means that there is more nighttime, oh. which means that revenants have more time to stroll around and terrorize people. Right. What are clever. And that is the story of medieval revenants. That was amazing. Thank you. (laughs) So it's not exactly the vampire origin story that many people believe. It is not as dramatic as dramatic. I was going to say dramatic and romantic. (laughs) Dramatic. Oh my God. You just, did you? Just made up a new word. I like it. Dramatic. But he has said it somewhere. It's like dramatic, but romantic. Oh my God. Yeah, dramantic. You know what? I want you to keep that word because it's really cool. I like it. So it's not as dramatic or romantic as Dracula. However, this is something that was very real Mm -hmm. to our ancestors for a large portion of history. And I know a lot of people think about history and they're like, ah, old people. Like, we don't need to think about them. Like, they're not like us. We're so much better. 
blah, blah, blah. But like, these were real people with like families Mm -hmm. and jobs and occupations and hobbies. And this was just part of their belief system. Mm -hmm. And that is why we have the inspiration we have today for vampires. It's actually amazing. Yeah. A lot of our popular culture is based. I don't want to say fact, because obviously did they come back after they died? No. I mean, we could debate it. Definitely. Definitely. If we had a philosopher here, we could debate it with a philosopher or a theologian. However, realistically, historically speaking, we do not have the evidence. Mm. But no, this is something that real people really believed was part of their belief system and inspired one of the most fascinating and interesting monsters, if you want, Mm -hmm. that we still have around today. Ooh. Honestly, that was really interesting. I would like honestly I would keep going on for like two more hours of, of this. Listen, guys, I have 85 pages of this. I skipped a lot of sections. But if you guys are interested, we can always do a deeper dive. But I will say that I will put the uh, primary sources that I used for my dissertation on our show notes. So if you want to have a firsthand revenant story or ghost story you can head on over to our website click on our show notes and you will have those medieval ghost stories to read before going to bed during this spooky season spooky so once again guys thank you so much for listening your support has been really incredible if you want more information go check out our show notes you can follow us on twitter instagram and facebook at the battle room and the website is the bubble room. The webs- we're still getting the website sorted. So it's very long. So if you go to our social media and click the link in our bios, it will take you directly to the website where you can access our show notes. You can see our, our faces and you can go explore. And as always, thank you guys so much. We appreciate each and every one of you. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.